Amen. Amen. Okay. Well, I want to talk to you about, of all things, the office of a deacon within the church. And I know, riveting stuff. I'm sure you woke up thinking that's what you need to hear from the Lord is about the office of a deacon. But bear with me. I hope over the course of this message, not only to persuade you of the importance of the office of the deacon or the diaconate, but also to get you to aspire to this office. So I'm going to try to persuade you this morning. And let me go ahead and give it a shot. In one sense, we are all called to be deacons. Deacon, in the Greek diakonos, after all, means servant, or more explicitly, one who waits tables. Speaking to his disciples, the Lord said, If anyone wants to be first, he shall be a last of all and servant, diakonos, of all. As disciples then, <clears throat> excuse me, we are called to be deacons. We are called to be servants. Our lives ought to emulate the pattern of our master who did not come to be deacons, but to deacon and give his life as a ransom for many. The Lord came not to be served, but to serve. We have been served, therefore... Serve others, we must. The Apostle commands us. You guys know this passage from Philippians chapter 2. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own interests, but also the interests of others. So our humble church, is called to be a community of deacons. Not a single one of us is exempt. In love and in honor, each one must show preference to the other. Let us not then, the Apostle Paul tells us, think of ourselves more highly than we ought, but regard ourselves as merely waiters, deacons, servants, here to wait upon the needs of those more important than ourselves. Yet, there is another sense in which the New Testament uses the word diakonos. That is, as an official position within the church. Penning his letter to the church at Philippi, the Apostle Paul addresses three groups. See if you can spot them. This is chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. He says, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, including the overseers and the deacons. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. The three, the three groups are the saints, the overseers or the elders, and the deacons. And the saints obviously refers to uh, the congregation. But separate from the congregation are its officers, the elders and deacons. And of course, we know who the elders are, but what about the deacons? And as we've said, every Christian is a deacon in an informal sense. We all have the call 
to serve. We all have the call to lay down our lives for the good of others. But only a few are deacons in an in a formal sense, excuse me. So everyone's a deacon in the informal sense, but only a few are deacons in the formal sense. So the deaconate is an office within the church that operates alongside the eldership. And these offices are confirmed in the passage we read this morning, 1 Timothy chapter 3. There, St. Paul treats the eldership in the diaconate as two distinct offices with distinct, with their own distinct qualifications and responsibilities. So, a functioning church then should have a functioning team of elders and a functioning team of deacons. Acts chapter 6 shows us why. You could turn there if you like. A complaint had arisen in the Jerusalem church. The Hellenized, that is Greek-speaking Christians, protested that their widows were being neglected by the native Aramaic-speaking Christians in the daily distribution of food. Now, the exact reason for this problem is lost in time. It may have been due to internal prejudice, the Aramaic-speaking Christians having some sort of rift with the Hellenized Christians, or, and I think more likely, the language and cultural barrier created a rift between the two of them, naturally, as it does. Now, however we understand the origin of the problem, it was undoubtedly one of the apostles' making. Acts chapter 4, verses 34 and 35 tells us, There was not a needy person among them. For all who were owners of land or houses would sell them and bring the proceeds of the cells and lay them at the apostles' feet, and they would be distributed to each as any had need. So, such boundless generosity characterized the early church that those who owned property sold it and turned it over to the apostles that they might distribute it to anyone who had need. It is a wonderful and deeply challenging picture of what the church is to be. But again, nevertheless, as the apostles were pulled every which way by the needs of the ever-growing community, they understandably made a rather large administrative error. They forgot about grandma. The widows were going unfed. Finally, when the problem reached ahead, when things had finally got to the point where it needed to be dealt with, the apostles called together and addressed the whole congregation, saying, verse 2 of chapter 6, It is not desirable for us to neglect the word of God in order to serve tables. Therefore, brethren, select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we may put in charge of this task. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the Word. So rightly, the apostles recognized their primary and truly only responsibility was to 
devote themselves to prayer and the ministry of the Word. Now, their exclusivity does not diminish the importance of serving tables. Rather, it reaffirms it. The work of service and mercy was such that it could not be neglected. It could not be done in a poor manner. A new office within the church had to be created to fill this role, to ensure that it was carried out diligently. It was such an important work that it had to have its own officers overseeing it. Thus, the diaconate was born. So, both the eldership and the diaconate are necessary for a functioning church. Deacons assist the elders in serving the congregation by overseeing the material needs of the congregation, whatever they may be. Therefore, under the care of a robust eldership and a robust diaconate, a church will be doubly served. You'll have the elders devoting themselves entirely to the care of the inner man and the deacons devoting themselves entirely to the care of the outer man. Both necessary, both vital options, excuse me, operations within the body. And those functions are further elucidated in 1 Timothy chapter 3. So bear with me a moment and let's read verses 1 through 13 of first chapter or excuse me 1 Timothy chapter 3 once again. It says it is a trustworthy matter a trustworthy statement if a man aspires to the office of an overseer it is a fine work he desires to do. An overseer then must be above reproach the husband of one wife temperate prudent respectable hospitable able to teach not addicted to wine or pugnacious, but gentle, peaceable, free from the love of money. He must be one who manages his own household well, keeping his children under control with all dignity. But if a man does not know how to manage his own household well, his own household, excuse me, how will he take care of the church of God? And not a new convert, so that he will not become conceited and fall into the condemnation incurred by the devil. And he must have a good reputation with those outside the church, so that he will not fall into the reproach into reproach and the snare of the devil. Deacons, likewise, must be men of dignity, not double-tongued or addicted to to much wine or fond of sordid gain, but holding the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. These men also must first be tested. Then let them serve as deacons if they are beyond reproach. Women must likewise be dignified, not malicious gossips, but temperate, faithful in all things. Deacons must be a husband of one, excuse me, of only one wife and good managers of their children and their households. For those who have served well as deacons obtain for themselves a high standing and great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. So, as it pertains to the qualifications for each office, there is very much in common. Both elders and deacons must be above reproach, in control of their speech, not addicted to wine, and etc., The differences, however, is where our focus lies. One qualification that is included for elders that is not for deacons is that elders must be able 
to teach. Deacons are exempt from this qualification. Further, both elders and deacons must manage their households competently. But, as it pertains to their office, it's for different reasons. Elders must manage their households well because they take care of the church of God. Deacons are given no such responsibility. And those are the two glaring differences between the two offices. And those two omissions, able to teach and take care of the church of God, foreground the main difference between the office of the elder and the office of the deacon. Elders are tasked with the, with the specific responsibility of leading and teaching the church, otherwise known as shepherding. That is the responsibility of the elders. Whereas deacons, being exempt from these two responsibilities, are tasked with all other avenues of service. So in this sense, the elders' commission is very narrow. They are to lead and they are to teach. And the deacons' commission is very wide. Literally all other avenues of service. And just for a moment, for the sake of clarity, let me say a few more things. Does the qualification able to teach um, being reserved uniquely for elders means that deacons cannot teach? And I don't think so. Because if I'm right in reading that Acts chapter 6 is indeed the origin of the diaconate, then it seems deacons are allowed to teach. Because you guys know the story. Who gets selected to the office of a deacon? Stephen. And what is he so busy doing? He's out there preaching the whole time. So, therefore, though teaching is not required of deacons, it is not excluded either. Deacons may teach, but only as something secondary to the primary responsibility of their office. And so it goes for elders. An elder may be involved in non-teaching and non-leading matters, but only in a subsidiary way to the ministry of the word and prayer. So you see then the distinction between these two offices and their, their necessity within the church. The elders devoting themselves primarily to the inner man and the deacons devoting themselves to the care of the outer man. Now we still have more to say regarding the nature of the office of the deacon, but before we move any further, I do want to impress upon you the high calling and dignity of the office. It is most definitely not a menial calling. Rather, St. Paul says, 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 13, those who have served well as deacons obtain for themselves, listen, a high standing and great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. So, yes, deacons do commit themselves to serving the lowliest, but so did their Lord. He came literally, Philippians chapter 2, verse 6, in the form of a deacon, in the form of a servant. Not to be waited upon by men, but to wait upon men. 
So how then could someone who devotes themselves to the very same work, to being a deacon within the church, be anything but the definition of greatness? The great, after all, are not those who sit at the table, but those, the Lord says, who wait upon the table. Deacons obtain a high standing and great confidence in the faith because they are willing to go low. Though they may be unrecognized by men, unappreciated by men, they are known and recognized before God. And we rightly recognize and memorialize our civic leaders, at least those who dispense their office well. We name schools after them. We put up their statues. We write about them in our textbooks. And again, rightly so. They're worthy of the honor because of their position. But let me ask, if politicians earn themselves a high standing in earthly cities, how much more will deacons earn themselves a high standing in the heavenly city, the church of God? Much more so. Their names will be etched into the foundations of the New Jerusalem along with the apostles themselves. And because they've been faithful with a few things here on earth, they will be entrusted with much in heaven. For them, St. Peter says, awaits an unfading crown of glory. They will rule and reign with Christ. And so let me, therefore, rather unashamedly, appeal to your ambition. The apostles, without a doubt, were ambitious men, preoccupied with their own status and rank, constantly arguing with one another about who was the greatest, even, even to the night of the Lord's Supper when the New Covenant was founded still arguing about which one of them was the greatest. And it's worth noting, it's worth noting how the Lord dealt with them. Because He did not eradicate their ambition altogether. Instead, He refined it and He redirected it. He taught them to seek glory in humility, to find honor in obscurity, and to obtain greatness in, in service. The Lord says, the great among you, they exercise power and control over their subjects. He says, but not so among us. Not so among the people of God. Rather, the great are those who serve. So I ask then, who does not want a high standing in the faith? We all do. And if not, let me say, we all should. We all should want a high standing in the faith. I see no problem whatsoever in exhorting every single one of you to seek for yourself as much heavenly glory as possible. Because it was the Apostle Paul himself who said, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 24 and 25, Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but only one receives the prize? He then says, run in such a way 
that you may win. Everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. He says, run with everything you have. Run in order to win, because what awaits you at the end of the race is not a perishable crown, but an imperishable crown. Expend yourself, he says. Lay down your life, because what awaits you for the glory that's stored up for you in heaven. And if we seek that crown, which we should seek that crown, the Lord tells us where to find it. In service, in sacrifice, in generosity. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and in due time He will exalt you. And so this brings me to the occasion for today's message. We are putting out the call for deacons and deaconesses within the church. The elders have a vision to build a robust team of deacons at CBC. Not necessarily to lighten the load on our shoulders, but to multiply the work of the ministry. The harvest is indeed plentiful but the laborers are few. And unquestionably, our humble body has had a lasting impact on this valley. But we all recognize there remains very much untapped potential. We have run well, but we must excel still more. And in recovering the noble work of the diaconate, there is ample opportunity for us to do just that. We hope to, by recovering this office, multiply the work that is being done by our church. So, as we move on, I want to lay out the state of things, explain to you how things are operating at CBC currently, and then show you what we're hoping and praying for. So, given the expansive nature of the diaconate and the relative freedom that the Holy Scripture gives us to operate in this area, we might classify the responsibilities of deacons into four separate categories. Deacons oversee finances, deacons oversee the property, deacons oversee what we're calling the ministry of helps, and deacons oversee the ministry of mercy. So first, deacons oversee church finances. That is, they prepare a budget, they manage incoming tithes and outgoing payments, they advise the elders on monetary decisions, and generally make sure that CBC is fiscally responsible. And in this area, thankfully, CBC is blessed to have two very fine deacons, Kurt Ober and more recently, Mike Edenburn. And it's no small thing that they're responsible for. Their work safeguards all other works of CBC. If we're not financially responsible, we don't get to do really anything else. And now Kurt has been shouldering that burden for over a decade, and more recently, Mike has stepped up to help carry the load. And one thing I know for certain is that The last thing these men are looking for is recognition, 
but given the fact that we're talking about deacons, it is only right and proper that we acknowledge and thank them for their work to our church. Gentlemen, thank you. And next, deacons oversee the church property. This, of course, includes the general upkeep of the building and the grounds, repairs, and remodeling. And, of course, again, info, uh, a, uh, counseling the elders regarding such decisions. And, once again, we're truly blessed to have a diligent and hardworking deacon in this area. My father, or as you know him, Dino. Sounds weird for me to even say that. But you have him to thank for the beautiful grounds and the recent renovations indoors. And like Kurt and Mike, I know he's not going to be happy about this, but let's give him a hand as well. Yes. These men have attained from themselves a high standing and great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. Now, we have those ones under control. They're doing a fantastic job. As it pertains to these other areas, helps and mercy, we do not have deacons formal, form, formally operating in either capacity. Now, many have stepped up to serve in these areas, and we're very grateful for that. We've never lacked servants at CBC. But again, neither helps nor mercy has a particular deacon overseeing the work responsible for it. It's something that kind of is just floating around. So let's deal first with this ministry of helps. And as it pertains to helps, the deacon's responsibility is rather straightforward. Helps, broadly defined, is anything pertaining to the church's day-to-day function. I mean, you just think of the title helps. It's helping in any area, giving a helping hand wherever it can be done. And in all my time as ministry, seven years now, my most favorite gift within the church is the gift of helps. Because these people are helpful. If something needs to be done, they're there. They stand up and they're ready to do the work. And I know who has the gift of helps here because as soon as service is over, everyone gets to talking and those with the gifts of help start stacking up chairs and taking them inside. They don't maybe have the gift of hospitality, but they have the gift of helps. So... Helps means setting up chairs and tearing them down. It means operating the sound system. It means making coffee. It means making sure the building is ready. Things such as these. And at first glance, those duties might sound menial and unimportant. But again, let me reassure you, they are not. In fact, they're immensely important because they supplement the ministry of the Word. Much like the women who supported Jesus' ministry. We're told in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 8, verse 3, that Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Susanna, and many other women provided for Jesus out of their personal income. So they presumably took care of his day to day necessities, making sure that he had food, making sure that he had lodging taking care of him externally that he might devote himself entirely to the work of the ministry. And so too, when deacons and servants step up to take care of such menial and unimportant tasks, they're actually 
furthering the ministry of the word. They are freeing others up so that they can do their work. And so again, in regards to help, here is what we need. A deacon or deaconess to oversee such matters. That is, to make sure a few people are available, present to help set up chairs, to make sure someone's available to operate sound, to make sure the bathrooms are clean, and etc. Now, I'm supported by the church. You guys pay me, supply my livelihood, and of course, I don't mind doing such things. And truth be told, they're a nice break from constant study and prayer sitting in front of a computer most of the day. But again, that's not what you're supporting me for. You're taking care of me that I might give you the word, that I might devote myself to the scriptures, to learning and to teaching and to the elders leading the body. So, and that applies to all other regular teachers of this body. We want them free to devote themselves entirely to the work that they're engaged in. Sure, they're servants. They want to help in other areas. But where we can relieve the burden, we want to relieve the burden. We want them to focus on the Word. And we need those with the gift of helps who God has specifically blessed for that purpose to help relieve the burden that they can devote themselves to the work of the ministry and prayer. So again, we're putting out the call with someone with the desire to serve the church and who possesses the spiritual gifts of helps and administration. Who can kind of just say, okay, I need you here this day, I need you there that day. And who is a servant to their core. There's one. And then the other one, last but certainly not least, deacons bear the responsibility to oversee the work of mercy. As we have seen already, Acts chapter 6 establishes this as one of the primary, if not the primary, responsibility of the deacon's work. Though it's the elder's responsibility to teach and exhort the church to the work of ministry, or excuse me, to the work of mercy, it is not their responsibility to organize and manage it. That work falls to the deacons, and it's clear why. We've already said that mercy itself is such an expansive work. It's such an important thing that it needs a team of deacons who can devote themselves entirely to it. To oversee it and make sure that it's run properly. And we believe that under the leadership of the right deacons, our current work of mercy has the capacity to grow immensely. As it is now, our mercy work is more reactive than proactive. It's more see a need, meet a need, rather than systematic and organized. In other words... Our work of mercy is more charity than it is justice. Handouts rather than hand-ups. It's a good thing to pay an outstanding bill for a poor family, but it's better to help them become self-sustaining. That takes a team of deacons to help oversee. It's good to put a homeless man up in a hotel, but it's better to help him find a job. That takes a team of deacons and deaconesses, right? It's good to be kind to immigrants, but it's better to teach them English and help them assimilate into the culture. That takes a team 
of deacons. All right, you get the picture. Under the leadership of a team of deacons gifted with compassion and wisdom and administrative gifts, by the grace of God, we might actually be able to make a dent in our community or at least offer some comprehensive help. Deacons are necessary for this responsibility. And if you're tempted to think that such care is not a part of the church's mission, remember, long before nations took care of their citizens, the church did. Nearly every caregiving and mercy-providing institution of the modern world was established by the ancient church. The nations did not come up with these things. The rulers who lorded over their people did not devise these plans of mercy, but it was the church who created hospitals. It was the churches who founded orphanages. It was the church who cared for those in the middle of a pandemic. That has always been our work. The government can indiscriminately hand out checks. They can prop up bureaucratic programs, but they cannot dispense the love of Christ. They cannot transform a life. That, CBC, is the special work of the church. Care for the poor and the outcast is our specialty and always has been. Therefore, we are asking those with the gifts of mercy, service, administration, and wisdom to seriously consider the call to the office of the deacon. We have run well, but we want to excel still more. We want to run the race so as to obtain an imperishable crown. And finally, having considered our call to service, let's end this morning by turning our attention to the Lord who, although He existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied Himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. Being found in the appearance as a man, He humbled Himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason also God highly exalted Him and bestowed on Him the name which is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee will bow, of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Let's pray.